Hello and welcome to Revelation Celebrating Your Potential. I'm Revel Revity and today's guest is... Storm Talifaro, author, filmmaker, artist, father, midwife, husband, and so much more. Welcome, Storm, and thank you for joining us today. Well, it's an honor. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been a little bit of a, a tough time getting you on here, but now we've got you, and we're going to hang on to you for about a good half hour. Okay. <laughs> so um, let's start with the garden diet. Uh, would you give, give us a rundown of how you became raw, the whys, the hows, and just, just do it quickly because they can always go to your website and, or, or to your e-books to really get into the story. But just a quick uh, background on this, please. Well, I was living in Detroit at the time. It was 1968, and I had a major heart attack, and I almost died, even though at that time I didn't associate the diet with the heart attack. It was a wake-up call. And, and your age? Yeah, at 18. That was, 18. That, that, was, that, was, that was huge. Yeah. And so when I started experimenting in 1970 with a vegetarian diet through a logical progression of one foot in front of the other, I, I wound up, you know, like it took me two years. In 1972, I became raw, and I didn't go through detox. I didn't experience any downtime. It was just like somebody turned on the light, and it's been like that ever since. Wow, so you've, you've been totally raw vegan since 72. You haven't ever eaten a bite of cooked food or been tempted? Well, actually, it, it, it's not that clear. Okay. Because there was no, there was absolutely no information on raw food. I did not know one of the raw foodists had never even heard of a raw foodist, much less knew one at the time. And so there was absolutely, there was, I think, Dr. Walker's book on juice. And so a lot of the foods that I ate, like uh, rolled oats, I thought were raw. They weren't. You know, and then I found out that nuts were heated in the shells in the shelling process, and that it wasn't raw. You know, even though these foods were sold as raw foods, they weren't really raw. So I went through this through levels of awareness of finding that different foods that I thought were raw weren't raw. But as soon as I would find out, you know, like that a certain food wasn't raw, then I would eliminate it from my process. So it took it took it took years to actually read a stage a stage of one hundred percent raw, partly because of the labeling laws, the way things are labeled. And even now things can be heated up to hundred and eighteen degrees and still sold as raw. Mm -hmm. You know, which a lot of foods are and people don't know it. You know, like honey is heated up, you know, like a lot of the nuts are heated up, a lot of the agave is heated up, you know, so once once these foods are heated to 118 degrees, even though they have a raw label on them, they're still not raw foods because the enzymes have been destroyed at 105 degrees. So it's still a very tricky process of, you know, like, like finding out which nuts are really raw, you know, like on which foods are really raw and which ones aren't. Now, why did you choose raw as opposed to just being vegan or vegetarian? Where, how did how did that come about? It, it, it was. Did you think about it, or you, it just kind of evolved naturally? Well, I read the Hasin Gospel of Peace, 
and it was a little 30-page book that was circulating around Detroit in the early 70s, and it just, it just had such a, a tone of clarity, you know, with the language. The language was very poetic, and it was like the fire that cooks your food will cook you, and why do you put your food in the fire, you know? And these were really simple questions with really complicated answers that, you know, it's like it just dawned on me through layers of revelation that if we destroy our food, then it loses its ability to nourish us. And so when I started placing one foot in front of the other, I felt my energy levels rising astronomically, levels of clarity were rising. I was able to train longer and harder. And I had always been stuck at 165 the whole time I ate meat, dairy, and cooked food. I couldn't gain I couldn't gain weight. I always felt like I was real thin. But when I became raw, I started eating less food, and I started putting on muscle mass, which was really paradoxical to me because it would seem like it would be the other way around. But I was finally getting the nutrition that my body needed so it could rebuild. And um, I was able to get the body that I've always wanted and couldn't achieve by eating really heavy. Well, I know your body has changed just in the last two years since I've seen you. I saw you about two years ago, however old Adagio is. And just from your pictures, when I saw you originally to where I see you now, you've changed for some, somehow, some reason, something's changed. And you look even better now. And now, you want to tell the audience how old you are, please? I'm in my 57th year. Uh huh. So, you know, it's like I'm actually, I'm actually coming up on 60. Yes. And I always thought that was something that happened to other people. <laughs> you know? I know that feeling. <laughs> but I guess it happens to all of us if we stick around long enough. Yeah. But I'm feeling really, really well. But I had to make some changes, you know, because my body is not 25 anymore, you know. But, you know, like in, in keeping with, you know, like, like making some changes, I've been able to, you know, like maintain a, a really high energy level and uh, a really uh, fine sense of well-being that I'm really surprised because I always, you know, like we're programmed to think that when we get to this age that we're supposed to start falling apart and be in and out of the revolving door of the medical, you know, like uh, association. We're not supposed to really feel good. And that's such um, a myth, you know, that I think there's a lot of myths surrounding our health our health and our food and how we approach our golden years. Right, and these also affect how we live our lives because we think we're supposed to carry on whatever it was our parents or our ancestors had. Well, we we just follow one generation after another and we wind up with what they call hereditary diseases, but diseases aren't hereditary. It's the foods to bring about these conditions that are hereditary. And, and the beautiful thing about this is we can change that. Yeah, because they, they were created in the first place. Exactly. Cool. Now, what gave you the idea for your website, The Garden Diet? Well, I have to give all the credit to Gingy. This would be your wife? Yes. Gingy um, was the spiritual force behind it. She, she had the insight. She had the technology, you know, like I don't, I, don't, I don't do well on the web. You know, she is the webologist in the family, and um, 
she got such incredible results from raw food until she felt that she wanted to share it with the world. And I actually told her she was crazy, that it was a hard sell, that nobody's going to sit up and let you tell them that everything they're doing, their mother did and their grandmother did is wrong, and they have to eat parsley for the rest of their life. <laughs> and um, did she ever prove me wrong? Yeah, well, that's what a good woman will do, isn't it? All right. Yeah. Now, we've got uh, a couple of minutes before we have to take a break, but in your e-books, which I, I often refer to them because they are just so basic and down-to-earth, but you talk about the orange juice diet. Are you still as fervent about oranges and orange juice as you were when you wrote it? We always have 10 crates. We buy 10 crates at a time. We go through them in about two weeks, and that's a family of six, and when we don't have oranges, we don't have food. Even if I do a shop and I, I and I spend four hundred dollars on on other stuff, if I don't have the oranges as the base, all the kids start to lose weight and our energy level goes down. Wow! By a shop, you mean a workshop or a, a, a retreat? No, no. If I do a, a, a shop like the farmers market and I go load up on food. Oh yeah! Tell tell everyone how you do that because I don't think they're aware that. Some people really have to go out of their way to get really good food. Well, it's, 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 it's a struggle because in like of the marketing strategies and the way our food is handled at this time, what my goal has been is to eliminate as many middle people as possible. So I go directly to the farmer. And I, I would just like to tell everybody to totally support the farmer's markets because you can judge what has happened to your food by judging the man who grows it. And I, I happen to have farmers that I've been dealing with since 1974, you know, that, you know, like I'm still dealing with these guys, and I know them. They're my friends, and I'm able to buy stuff that was picked the day before. I know when the food was picked. I know what's on it, and I'm able to, you know, like totally control you know, like the uh, quality. But what does it take for you to get that food? You live up in the mountains. It's a two-hour drive. Mm -hmm. You know, like I drive two hours twice a week to load up at the farmer's market, and I usually do an orange shop, too, you know, which is separate from the farmer's market, which is halfway, and I, I buy 10 crates at a time. And I also buy crates of tangerines and crates of other fruits when they're in season. We eat 80% fruit, 20% vegetables. Wow. Now, uh, one question is often asked is if somebody wants to do the juice diet and say they work a regular job, do you advise them to bring a thermos or would it be more advisable to bring the fruit and just eat that? You've got 14 seconds. Uh, you can eat the fruit. You can eat the fruit. <laughs> that's, that's better than actually juicing and bringing a thermos? Yeah, you don't want it to sit around. You don't want it to oxidize. You know, you want to juice it and drink it, you know, like within 15 seconds. Gotcha. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Revel of Revelation Celebrating Your Potential, and this segment is brought to you by www.justadtickets.com. Book your travel with someone you know. And, of course, that is me. Uh, we are talking today with Storm Talaferro author and filmmaker, artist, father, and midwife, as I said before. So let's get into the midwife part. 
before we get started, I'm going to tell you that Storm and his wife, Gingy, have four children. And um, by the time this will be, uh, I think it will be common knowledge by the time this is aired, that uh, she also has another one on the way. And they live a raw food lifestyle, and they do take their children to Western medical doctors because the children's health is a priority. So I don't want a bunch of emails, and I know they don't, saying, you know, well, how do you do this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now, Storm, you seem to have the ideal life for staying raw, mostly away from the mainstream. The kids are homeschooled. Do you ever have times when you are attracted to something cooked? Every day. Uh-oh. And it's been like that for the last 30, 32, 33 years. Now, what, what do you say to yourself? How do you, how do you change that? I fight. You do? It's a constant fight all the time. And this is what's so insidious. It's like we have been drugged. Our foods have been injected with addictive drugs. MSG being one of them, right? The main one. It's more addictive than cocaine. It's more addictive than nicotine. If you have two restaurants and they're serving exactly the same food, and one is loaded with MSG and the other one isn't, and you go to both restaurants, you will say, I like that restaurant that has the MSG better, without ever knowing why. You will just say they have better food, and you will go there every time and not to the one that has MSG. The company, the corporation that does not use MSG cannot compete in this landscape. Wow. Wow. It's not possible, and they know it. Can you give us some ideas of what what actually has MSG in it, or the names? Do you know offhand the names of some of the uh, food sources, like a hydrolyzed protein and stuff like that? Well, see, it's, it's insidious because back in the 50s, Gerber baby food was putting MSG in the baby food because the babies became addicted and the mothers would feed it to their babies and the babies like Gerber baby food. Congress realized that there was a problem and they passed a law saying you could not put the MSG in the baby food anymore. So the corporations then isolated the active ingredient, which was glutamic acid, which is a neurotransmitter, and they continued to put the glutamic acid in without the monosodium. And so then they would put on the labels, this food contains no MSG, which was technically correct, but it was loaded with glutamic acid, so they still had the same effect. And that's when the labeling, because everybody knows now what MSG is, and so if they put MSG on the label, people won't buy it. So they put hydrolyzed vegetable protein, they put... Uh, hydrolyzed yeast, they put natural flavors, and that's really insidious. When they put natural flavors on it, that means you don't know what you're eating because some lobbyist was able to pass a law that allowed them to slide these drugs in the back door. And some of these foods are so addictive and have such an abrupt effect on our brain chemistry until it is almost criminal to put the stuff in foods and then aim the advertising at children, which, which is what happens. So we get addicted at a very early age, which is what happened to me. And some of the foods that are really loaded are, are Chinese food, Thai food, and that's where my cravings still come in with the most amount of t- intensity. And I could be full. I could have a full stomach, not be in the least bit hungry, and still just totally crave 
you know, like these foods which are loaded with the monosodium glutamate. So it's not the food that I'm addicted to, it's the drug that they put in it. And it's an addiction which I think at this point I'll have the rest of my life. And a lot of other people have it too. I think you're right. And people think they are uh, uh, addicted to cooked food, but it's not. It's the stuff that's put in. But even if we make it ourselves... Like if we take fresh vegetables and stir fry them, then why why are we still addicted to I think hot foods as well? Well, well the oils, the oils are, you know, like I, I think it's like this. I think whenever our body encounters a toxin, that we develop a tolerance against it, and so as long as that that poison is in our body, the tolerance is reacting to it. But then when we remove that that poison, the tolerance is still there, so the tolerance actually becomes the craving. Okay, so Storm? it needs it to balance. We will be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Revel Revity with Revelation Celebrating Your Potential and our guest, Storm Talaferro. And before we went on break, uh, Storm was talking about tolerances and addictions and the things that are... Uh, food companies put in our foods to addict us, but also the things we do for ourselves, such as oils. Um, did you want to uh, have something else to say on that, Storm? Well, you know, it's like when we have a really good diet, it, it, it's, it's almost like a paradox. The food is not addicting. So when we get really hungry, we crave something that's fried. We crave something that has the monosodium glutamate. We don't really think of an apple as food. We don't really think of an orange as food. Or steak, the meat is loaded with, with monosodium glutamate. You know, so when we get really hungry, we think of the foods that are loaded with the toxins that created the cravings in the first place. But if you take a food chart and you look at an apple and you look at a steak or you look at you know, like the foods that we're really craving, as far as nutrient density, you will see that the apple has way more nutrients in it than, you know, like the the processed foods that we're craving. So it's a battle that has to be fought before we can actually, you know, like achieve preventative health through, you know, like not putting the disease-causing foods into our body. Okay, let me ask you this now. Children who have not done the baby food thing, what, what do you feed, you and Gingy feed your children when they are really, really young? Like you've got one coming uh, soon, and I know she's going she's gonna, to um, breastfeed the baby, right? Yeah, she breastfed all of them for three years. Okay. And so that, I think that, that, that is huge because the, yeah, it's milk, major. the milk has so much so many nutrients in it that are even undefinable you know like the milk in the morning changes in the afternoon and changes in the evening so you have three different levels of milk you know to you know like that the baby you know like gets during the day and then the, the night milk is different than than the than the morning milk you know so there's no way that we can duplicate baby food you know we can duplicate this in baby food I right, think right. babies have to nurse 
or they they just don't form right. You know, no. they they develop all kinds of subtle little deficiencies. Oh, I'm sure. Plus, plus the addiction to what you were saying the, to the foods that are in jars and and it's all heated and cooked and um, n- uh, nutrient deficient. So, as your children have gotten older and they started eating real food, and now you've got they're between the ages of two and twelve. Do you find that they are have any addictions towards cooked food? Have they ever eaten any cooked food? Raven and Joan have. Um, Shale and Adagio haven't. So Raven and Joan, they have problems. See, each one of the kids is totally different, has a totally different raw food experience. Because when, when you're married, and I think this is huge, you can't tell your spouse what to do. You can't say you're going to eat this and you're going to do this and you're going to do that because they, they, they will turn on you, you know. So everybody has to find their own path to, to raw food. So, you know, it's, it's, it's real hard to, you know, like hook up with somebody who shares this belief system. And I know a lot of people who come to retreats and that I talk to, half the family is raw and the other half isn't. Right. You know, so I never made, you know, like everybody being raw an issue. You know, because I, I didn't think that that was the most important thing about the family. It was just something that I did, and it actually kind of isolated me from everyone and everything. So I learned to be very quiet with it. Mm-hmm. But when Gingy finally did become raw, you know, she had a lump in her breast, and she went raw, the lump went away. She got off her raw, the lump came back, and she said, duh, you know, and then <laughs> she went raw, and she stayed raw, and the lump went away, and that was, you know, like 10 years ago. Right. So with the kids, each one of the kids had a raw, different experience. The two older ones, you know, um, <clears throat> they won't eat any vegetables, but the ones who were raw from birth, they love vegetables. They'll eat things that the older ones won't, you know, so... You know, like, I, I, I'm noticing this, you know, like, I'm getting to watch this story unfold, even though, you know, like, right now all of them are doing well. There were periods when all of them were really thin and really small compared to regular kids, which is another thing that you will run into as a raw food parent. You know, your kids don't grow as fast, you know, and that, that really rips your heart out because we all want these that pretty, bountiful, abundant little babies, and we want our kids to be robust and look like the other kids, and they don't because they don't have the bovine hormones, they don't have the, you know, like the excess protein and calcium, you know, which looks really good on young kids. It's only when they become obese or when they start to break down in their 30s that the accumulative effects of this diet are seen to be, you know, like uh, detrimental. But the first 10 years, you can eat just about anything, you know, and not really suffer adverse health effects, except that now we are seeing a proliferation of obese children. But getting back to the point, raw vegan kids grow slower. But then all of a sudden they'll have a growth spurt, you know, and, you know, like, like in the last three months Raven put on 10 pounds. You know, Adagio put on six pounds. So, you know, like we go through growing spurts and we go through different internal things naturally. And if you can ride that out, you know, and know that your kid is being nourished and that, you know, like he's all right and that he's not going to grow as fast as the other kids, 
then you stand a chance of making it, you know, especially if the kid has never had any of the addictive foods. But once they have them, then that's what they're going to ask for. You know, they're not going to ask for Apple. They're going to ask for McDonald's. Well, I think think all the charts and everything are definitely based on the SAD uh, standard American diet and what the kids, the average child is on, and that's that's where they're basing their weight height chart on. Right. And so what you're doing as feeding children raw is you're not giving them the stuff that's creating all that quote-unquote baby fat, which is actually your kids, as far as I know, have not had that uh, problem. No, they're all solid. They're yeah. all solid, lean muscle. You know, but that, you know, like, well, Adagio just had a growth spurt. You know, and so did Raven. Now, Adagio is two, a little over two. two. Yeah, yeah, he's two. And, and, so, and Raven? She's 12. Okay. You know, so they're all within the charts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're in the, either the middle of the chart or the bottom of the chart, you know, as far as their weight. But, you know, like, uh, Joan and Shale are in the top 90% with their height. You know, so they're, they're actually doing all right, but they're not, you know, like... Well, they don't hold to the, to the, to the sad standard. Right, right. And that, that's what the doctors are looking at. And it's, it's, it's done on the curve. Yeah. You know, so... And it, it, it's, it's a scary thing because they can, they can come to your house, say your kids are too thin, and take them away. But you could have four kids, have two of them die from obesity-related diseases, and they will leave the other two with you and let you continue to feed them the way they killed the, the first two. Isn't that disgusting? You know, so we're, we're really living in, you know, like, like the dark ages as far as, you know, like science coming into, you know, like accepting, you know, like, like the truth of the raw vegan diet. Right. Let, let's look at, um, we've got about five minutes on this one. Let's look at raw during the holidays. I just read a post from somebody about the quote-unquote cold and flu season. And um, what, what do you have to say about that? We've got the holidays coming up. Christmas will be next week. And uh, then we've got, of course, we've already been through Thanksgiving. Well, there's a proliferation of raw food cookbooks and recipes out there. So there's no reason why anybody should feel any lack. You know, it's like you can dial raw food in and make it just as rich as you want to and just as gourmet as you want to. You know, so you can serve a five-course gourmet raw food Christmas dinner that anybody, whether they're meat eaters, vegetarian, whatever, would totally like. So I think that that's where the attack should be to maintain, you know, like a healthy diet then during the holidays if you should be focused on the quality of the recipes and the quantity because we're used to fishing. This is a time of abundance and thanksgiving and giving gratitude. So we don't want to sit down to a plate of parsley or a glass of orange juice, you know. We want, you know, like lasagna and, you know, like, like, nut loaves and sauces and gravies and desserts, you know, and ordinarily... Sure, pies. Yeah, pies, you know, there's so many things that you can you can put together until there's, you know, like, um, no reason why anybody should feel like they have to go off their diet or really not totally celebrate the holiday. So what, what do you think about the quote-unquote cold flu season? Um, it's been so long since any of us have had a cold. I think that that's just a breakdown when the system just can't handle the sludge and it takes time to throw the sludge out. 
you know, through all of the, the seven openings. And um, I think it's, it's basically self-inflicted. And when, when, you, when you have a really good diet, you don't experience that buildup of mucus and then the, the, the cleansing of it, you know. So um, I think that that's something that we have to address. That's why we eat raw food, because raw food is a preventative diet. It prevents these conditions from arising. Right. And my, my feeling is the, the reason that we do get... Uh, excess bacteria or excess, what's the other one, uh, viral stuff or whatever, is because of uh, our to- uh, using our bodies as a toxic waste dump. Right. And right. so these things come into our system to help us clean it out, and what we do is try and stop the process. Right. Well, our immune system is already compromised, and, and I think that when you have a raw diet, that you develop a really robust immune system, which is the best way to deal with any kind of disease, is with a robust immune system, not through taking, you know, like uh, the disease into your body in the form of vaccinations to develop an immunity because they can't keep up with all the various strands and strains. So we have to, you know, like, uh, you know, like deal with it at the source, which is the immune system. And when we eat cooked food, you have insufficient elimination of waste, which totally compromises the immune system. Great. Now I'm going to ask you an interesting question here. Okay. How or would you define your roles as parents, yours and Gingy's? Guides. <laughs> Guides. Okay. The yeah. same, but but each of you is sort of different because it seems to me you're the you're the adventurer, the one who gets out and about and teaches the kids. Um, like maybe maybe nature training and stuff like that. Yeah, Tinti has always read to the kids intensely. You know, even before they could understand what she was saying. You know, so she 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 developed her vocabulary, and uh, I think her journey is more inward, which you know, like was a, a point of contention in the beginning. But now we're starting to accept who we are. You know, and so it actually allows us to cover all of the bases. Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that you're a midwife. Uh, you've got one minute to talk about that. I just, I just think that the way a lot of times, I mean, it's getting better. It's not as bad as it was, but the way they handle pregnancy is almost like a, they treat it like a disease. Yes. And... I didn't want to do that, you know. We didn't have hospitals for hundreds of tens of thousands of years, so all of the childbirths were were natural and organic, so to speak. And you still have fatalities, but we still have them now, you know. So you do everything you can, you know, like to to make sure, you know, like, like... the mother is healthy, you go to the doctor, you check the blood work, you get a lot of analysis done. Don't do the ultrasound, though. Okay, hold on a second, Storm. We'll be right back. Okay. (laughs) This is Revel, and we're back with Storm Talaferro, author, filmmaker, artist, father, midwife, husband, and uh, just a major renaissance man. We were talking about uh, the children and um, Storm's participation in their birth. Do you want to finish that thought? Uh, Storm, please. Okay, well, you know, basically I think that when a husband and wife do the delivery, you know, and and everything goes good, 
that it sets up an incredible bond, you know, like, like with the child and with each parent, you know, which is, is, is been one of the most amazing experiences of my life is the fact that I participated in the delivery of all of my children. At home. At home. Right. Excellent. Okay, now you've been very, very busy of late. You've got a, uh, a video out called Breakthrough. Do you want to give some information on that? Well, once again, i got to give the credit to Gingy, you know, because when I first got the camera gear about 10 years ago, she was always shooting home videos. And when it came time to do this documentary, and I thought, well, how can we really tell the raw food story I realized that we had the only documented footage of long-term raw vegan children in the world. And so we used this footage to make a movie to show, you know, like the growth, the development, you know, just, you know, like sort of give an inside peek at our family and how the kids have grown and the type of things that they do. And I think it's an incredible film and the fact that it shows that the raw vegan diet works because right now there's this huge if, you know, like about whether the diet works. And not only does it work, it works very well. It works for pregnant mothers. It works for, you know, like newborn babies. And it works for old-timers like me, you know. So that's what this film is basically, the, the premise of it is it's like living proof. Well, actually, you could probably have made about six films out of the things you had in there and just expanded on them. I think you've been told that before. And I actually got the name of my show from something you said. You said celebrating the potential. And so I said celebrating your potential. And so that I want to thank you for giving me the name to my program. All right. What else are you doing? Now, I met you uh, during a retreat, you and, and Gingy and the kids. Uh, what's, what's happening now with you? Well, we have a 45-foot catch that we're doing uh, raw food retreats on, you know, like, like out to the islands, you know, like the Channel Islands off the coast of Santa Barbara. And it's just, you know, like an enchanted, you know, like, like journey. It lasts, you know, like these retreats are lasting three days. And they start on Friday and they end on Sunday. And we do a lot of liquids out there, a lot of orange juice, you know, so you're on this thing like on the ocean and you're drinking liquids and it sets up this resin resonation you you actually you know, like feel you become one with with nature i've always used you know, like raw food as a modality for tuning into and experiencing nature not it's just not a diet it's more like a lifestyle and the ocean is very very intense and uh when we do these type of retreats people are moved they come back refreshed and renewed and it's an incredible process, and I feel honored to be, you know, like, like a part of it, you know, to be able to take people on these journeys. It's almost like rites of passage and vision quests, you know, it has, has that type of energy. And we go out to the islands, which are very wild and rugged, and there's no buildings out there, you know. And in the wintertime when it rains, we actually forage for, you know, like the island is covered with cactus pears, metal mushrooms, um, miner's wow. lettuce. You wow. know, so we eat, we actually eat off the island. Storm, how can people get in touch with you? Come to the gardendiet.com. It's, it's our website, and all of the information, everything that we've talked about in this show, is all contained, you know, like, like within, you know, like the gardendiet.com website.
Excellent. Okay. Storm, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I had so many other questions we could have gone into, but it's always a pleasure to chat with you. All right. The pleasure has been mine. It was an honor. Thank you. Great. We'll talk to you soon. That's it for today. If you'd like to advertise on Revelations, Celebrating Your Potential, or sponsor a segment, please contact me at Revel, and that's with two V's as in victory and two L's, at CelebratingYourPotential.com. Next week's guest will be Alyssa Cohen, fresh from the Tyra Banks War of the Diets program and author of Living on Live Food. My engineer is Joe Stokes of Stokes Audio, and I'm Revel Revity saying always revel in life and remember to play with your food. Bye for now.